Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, today on Kidney Talk, I am very privileged to be speaking to such an incredible woman, someone who's a survivor, who knows how to overcome adversity. And today I'm talking to Celia Cantor, and she's been on dialysis for 36 years. When I hear the term 36 years on dialysis, it it just takes my breath away. So Celia, please um, say hello to everybody and welcome to the show. I'm so pleased to have you on the show so you can tell us your experience. And Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. So tell us when you were first diagnosed with kidney disease. Okay. I learned when I was 30 years old, I had adopted a child. My husband had a low sperm count, so that's why we adopted a child. My daughter was two months old, and I was a teacher, and I just went for a regular physical. I felt fine. In fact, I was playing tennis. I'm very active, very physical, very sports was my life. And um, the doctor, the first meeting, he, my blood pressure was high, which I never knew about. And he gave me a kidney test, and he found out my kidneys were the size of uh, walnuts. Oh, my goodness. And how old were you at the time? I was 30. Oh, my goodness. And what year was this? Um, we could do the math here. Let's say 30. It was 1970. <laughs> wow. And the doctor told me I had five years to live. Oh, my To my God. husband, it would be nice to her. She only has five years to live. And I remember praying to God, oh, God, let me live to see my daughter be a brownie. Because I was oh. a third grade teacher. I said, just let me live to see my daughter be a brownie. I won't ask for anything more. And my daughter and I were 43 years old. Oh, my goodness. That, that is amazing. And so you have been on hemodialysis the entire 36 years? I didn't start when I was 30. I didn't start until 1937. 1977. 1977, you started dialysis. And did you start on hemo? And I've been on chemo the whole time, yes. No transplant, nothing like that. Now, that's interesting. Did you never want to get a transplant? My sister was, um, uh, you know, took the blood test then, but she was a C-match in those days. And then my mother offered, but I didn't want to take my mother's. I figured, what would my father do if anything happened to her? And so, I, I, you know, in, in 77, transplants weren't so wonderful. I know. I had two that didn't work, one in 78 and one in 83. Oh, you had one in 78? Yeah, I had. it didn't work. See, I saw very bad things happen with transplants. So I, I, I did, I've always done very well on dialysis. And uh, I've lived a pretty normal life. It's only been after like 35 years, the last year or so, I've had a lot of problems with my hands. I hate to complain about hand pain, but it's pretty bad. And, and did you get a fistula when you first started? Is that what's I been using? I have the same fistula, 36 years. That's the Never key. Never clotted. That is the key to living a successful life on dialysis. I thank my doctor just for that because he's a wonderful fistula doctor. He really is. And have you had to have it repaired or anything? I've had revisions on it. And the same fistula. But it's the same fistula. Yeah, they moved it up a little. I'm sure you're well aware that people who have a fistula do the best on dialysis. Absolutely. Absolutely. They feel much better. Well, because a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to have a catheter. And, you know, I don't want a fistula. So what do you tell those patients? What do you tell those patients? I mean, I have to tell you also people who, 
you know, they get off early and they think, oh, good, I get off an extra half hour early. That's like the worst thing people can do. Right. I've always, like my doctor told me I could be on for three hours. and But I say, no, I won't be on less than three and a half because I have a very low blood flow. I only have 320. And then for negative pressure, I never gain more than one or two kilos. Never. I really watch my diet. I watch the liquids very much. I have like 10 ounces of liquid a day. That's about it. And um, I won't have like negative pressure more than five, six hundred. But these people, they come in and they have negative pressure over a thousand, blood flow 500. That is not good for your heart. I know. Isn't it interesting how people think, well, they take shortcuts with their care that, um, you know, they're only hurting themselves. Right. The machine, like once it had a problem, I got off a half hour early. I said, ooh, well, I realize that's like the worst thing. In fact, if a lot of times if I'm feeling good, I ask them if I can stay an extra half hour, and if no one's following me, they let me. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, you just said that you um, retired a couple of years ago. What, what have you been doing this whole time? Okay, originally I was a teacher, but when I got sick, I could not do that any longer. Mm-hmm. So I became a tax preparer because my father, both my parents, you won't believe this, are still alive. I'm 73. My mother's 93, my father's 96, and they're both very healthy, never had a problem. They're healthier than I am. Oh, my God, that's amazing. You have some good genes. Yeah, they're married 74 years. Yeah, so anyway, my father was a CPA. I used to work for him, so I, I became a tax preparer, and I've been doing that for 30 years, just till last year I retired. Well, it's interesting because you picked a profession that you could kind of control your own workflow and your own time. And and that's really important when you have an illness and you can stay employed. But, you know, look, if I don't feel so good, I, I don't take on any more cases, right? Well, you know what? I did work for someone for like 20 years as a tax preparer. I didn't have my own business till the end. And I never once missed work. Never. Wow. Never once in 20 years. Now, in this 36 years of dialysis, have you ever had any hospitalizations? I've uh, been lucky in that way. The only hospitalizations I've had, parathyroidectomy. So thank God for Sensopar, because until Sensopar came around, my calcium was very high, like 10, 11. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, your fingers are going to fall off, you're this. <laughs> well, who said you, I mean, that's, that's a great bedside manner for you. Your fingers are going to fall off. I have been told by doctors... I once they thought I had cancer of the pancreas and I was going to die in six months. I have been told the worst things by doctors that I shouldn't be alive today. I mean, so many doctors have told me I should be dead, and my doctor says, and how many of them are dead? I said, oh, you're right. I never thought of that. Did you go around and look at them and stick your tongue out and say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I'm still here? Yeah. (laughs) I know it's interesting because especially when you come from, you know, the 70s, 80s, I mean, people didn't have an expectation that you would make it very long. No. Today it's different. Really, five years, they said that would be the most. Because when we started dialysis, you know, the machine, it was horrible. They didn't have bicarb. Right. No, I know. I would have, like, seizures. You had seizures? 
Oh yeah, I would have grandma seizures and oh, no. um and I because of the acetate and I would, you know, the nausea and basically I was turning 14 at the time and they said let's get this girl on peritoneal. And so I was the first child to go on peritoneal because they needed to find some other solution because I did not do well on acetate dialysis. Uh, well, I don't think anyone did well on that. Yeah. It was killing me. That was horrible when bicarb came. That was I think the best thing that that really ever happened to me. Well, you know, that's, that's, it's an interesting point because people don't realize, you know, some of the things that have happened. I mean, ESAs came around. We didn't need blood transfusions. I would get blood transfusions every six weeks, just like clockwork. See, I never got my hematocrit, not hemoglobin, but hematocrit, was 14. But I never got, uh, I'm surprised you got, I never got a transplant because they said in case you have uh, a transplant, you're not supposed to have uh, transfusions. Well, it wasn't an option for me. I've had like 180 units of blood in my lifetime, but I, you know, I've had four transplants too. So you're not supposed to, it makes you, um, have more antibodies. And, and so, um, you know, this last transplant, I had a hundred percent antibodies, but they were still able to transplant. Wow. Me. So even you know, though I knew I was never going to have a transplant, I kept them happy and I, I never had a transfusion. I, I, I had transfusions later, but my mother and my daughter gave me blood. I never got blood from a outside donor. Well, tell us a little bit about your, your daughter and your family and, and your parents and how they've been supportive of your illness. My daughter is the reason I'm alive. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Without her, I mean, I do live alone. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the only few dialysis people who live alone. And up until a couple months ago, I drove myself and everything. And so I've always been very independent. But she calls me like, except literally. She lives close by, and she calls me about seven times a day, how I'm doing, and she's a wonderful, wonderful child, wonderful. Oh, that's incredible. And your parents, are you taking care of them? Are they still taking care of you or taking care of each other? Well, neither. They live now in the valley, so it's far, so I just talk to them. You know, my parents are very self-sufficient. They live by themselves in, the, in their own house for 50-some years, 60-some oh, wow. years. And as I said, oh, they're much better off than I am. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Unfortunately, the reason I retired about two years ago, I got breast cancer. And uh, was I'm, you know, I follow the diet. I am so, I'm thin. I'm exercise. I do everything. And then I get this. I thought, well, this is already too much. But I'll tell you, compared to being on dialysis, having breast cancer was like a broken finger now. <laughs> Wow. I mean, I didn't go through chemo. Did you have radiation? I only had radiation when they took off my breast. I had a lumpectomy. When they did that, they radiated me at the same time. Yeah, that's what happened to my mom, and she's great. But then I couldn't get, you know, they're supposed to do a lumpectomy to see how far you are. Well, that was my fistula arm, and they couldn't do a lumpectomy on me. Because my fistula, trust me, is big. When people see it, their mouth goes open. Right. Because of all those years, 36 years of usage. So I didn't have the lumpectomy. I have no idea what stage I was in. I, I don't know. It's been two years so far. I'm good, and I'm just hoping I'm going to be good. Yeah. Now, you sound, like, pretty strong. I mean, you would think that the cancer would advance by now. If Yeah, I hope so. I, I figure, you know, with being on dialysis, I have other bigger things to worry about, to be real honest. Yes. No, that's true. I mean, 36 years, I'm sure you're one of the record breakers in the country. Well, it has done a number on my bones. Like I think I told you, I was 5'3", and now I'm 4'11". Mm-hmm. So I did shrink a lot. 
Well, you know, to wrap up the show, Celia, why don't you just give us some tips that you've applied to live such a long time on dialysis? Um, Okay, as I said, the diet is very, very important. People think, oh, I'll just cheat. It's not like you're diabetic or something, you cheat. I mean, if you cheat, you could die. That's what people have to realize. I hate to say it, I know so many people after Thanksgiving, they would eat so much potassium that they didn't come to dialysis. They, They were gone. Mm-hmm. So especially with the potassium, you really have to watch it because if you have too much, it's not you'll just get a stomach ache. You will die. Right. No, my heart stopped from too much potassium when it I was... It did? Yeah, it was a problem with the machine and it was a new thing. And anyways, it wasn't my fault. Let's just put it this way. And my heart stopped for, um, you know, at a very high potassium. Well, how and, high was it? Um, they said it was 9.5. Oh, my God. Yep. I um, never had over, I think I once did have 6.4, but usually never over 6. Yeah, they said um, when I was rested in the hospital, I guess when you're a child, you can tolerate a little bit higher. But it was, yeah, I remember it very vividly. I started to feel very heavy. All I wanted to do was lay on the floor. Um, and, uh, you know, I woke up uh, after I had rested. It was about a six-minute arrest. My chest was black and blue. I mean, it was horrible. Um and, uh, you know, I became so afraid of potassium. Now, after I had my transplant, my third one lasted 20 years. I didn't, you know, I became very comfortable with eating potassium. But I always look at that number, even today, like, oh, my God, it's normal. Because it's scary. Potassium, you know, like you said, is, is what Dr. Kevorkian does. I take it a little high. You may. Like, I've never itched. I, have, I know a lot of people on dialysis itch. I have never itched. I never had that. But, um... Some things may, but the potassium, you really have to watch. I think also you have to really know about the machine. When I first went on dialysis, which was, you know, a long time ago, 77, I had a wonderful doctor. Well, Dr. Koffler, you may have known. Yeah, no, he was my doctor, too. I said to him, I want you to give me every medical book that you have. And he brought them to me, and I read them while I was on dialysis. I had four hours. I read those medical books the whole four hours and I try to learn everything about dialysis and the machine and I think that's very important. I mean I hate to say it I have wonderful doctors now I'm very fussy who I get but I am my own doctor. I always say I have one patient my doctor has a (laughs) hundred. No I go through when we take the monthly test I ask them for my test results I look them over and I modify my diet based on it. I don't Wait for the dietitian to tell me what to do. Well, yeah, because you've learned over the years and you know if your potassium's too high or phosphorus is too high. I think it's very important for people to know all their test results and really take an active part in their dialysis. I see so many people, they sleep on dialysis. People come and give them shots and, and take blood tests they don't need. I don't let them take every blood test they want. Right. And, and take all the... And I don't take all the medicine they tell you. I mean, I just, well, this probably is not good advice. I should say this to the doctor. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody can, um, you know, argue with you. But, you know, if you decide, I mean, I've had situations where people have suggested a medication to me, and I'm like, I don't want to take that. I mean, you have to let them know. You don't say, oh, I'm taking it, and then you don't take it. But you let them know that I don't want to take this. And I've had this situation where that's happened to me, and... Um, it's, you know, you have to know and understand your body and feel comfortable with it. You have to know your own body and 
gripes. Because dialysis is very individualized, and they don't individualize it enough. Remember when we first started dialysis, we got that shot. It was a male hormone. What was that again? Um, I never got that. Oh, well, anyway, they used to give me that. I forgot what it is, but it will come to me. After dialysis, I took this shot, and they just gave it to me. Then about after I was on a year getting that shot, they said, do you want the shot? I said, what do you mean, do I want it? Do I have a choice? She said, oh, yes, you always have a choice. I said, then, no, I don't want it, and I stopped it. And another thing, they used to rinse the machine with formaldehyde. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? I do. Okay, and you had to have reuse. And there was no way to get out of reuse because it cost $50 and blah, blah, blah. So I asked them, is there any way to get out of reuse? The person said, no, the only way you get out of it is if you have, um, like you're allergic to it. You have a reaction, a pyrogen reaction. Mm -hmm. So I looked that up and everything. This is terrible, but what I did is I faked a pyrogen reaction. I started shaking and this and that. I said, oh, I'm getting a pyrogen reaction. And so then I didn't have to have my machine. I I didn't get reuse. That is so funny. But, I I mean, that last, I think it was... uh, the kidney magazine said, don't have reuse. So yeah, I said, I've got to get out of reuse somehow. And that's how I got out of it. And everybody else was on reuse, but not me. Not you, because you're a good actress. But I, see, there are reasons. I, really- I know. Well, you get scared. I mean, you know, it's interesting because in the, um, you know, in the 1990s, they had you know, switch phosphate binders, and you probably go back to the olden days when they took aluminum phosphate. Yeah, I took tons of aluminum. And then they switched it to calcium. And now the literature is showing that we were getting too much calcium. And, um, yeah, and so they're now reducing the amount of calcium in the last few years because people are getting calciphylaxis or having complications from being having too much calcium. And I'm like, well, it's a medical practice. And they're just learning and they just utilizing the latest science and science progresses. And, you know, I mean, I tell people that all the time, like you have to take an active role, like you said, they're always trying to figure out, you know, what's best at the moment, the best science they have. That's why we need research and innovation and development. And, you know, but we have the right, it's our bodies. And if we don't think something's right for it, then we need to, you know, make informed decisions. Right. I don't even take EPO. I don't even need EPO. I don't take that at all. I don't get it. Well, you sounds like you have a good hemoglobin. I do. It's now like 13. And I, I exercise. When I exercise myself, I build it up. Right. What kind of exercises do you do? Oh, well, yoga. N- nothing too exciting. Riding a stationary bike, stuff like that. Do you have any hobbies that you like to do? I love bridge. Bridge is one of my favorite hobbies. Oh, okay. I like being with my friends. and I've had the same friends, some of them, since grammar school. Oh, my goodness. And their big problem, they call me up, is they can't play tennis for three or four days because their arm hurts. This is what I have to listen to. This what you... That's great. Well, Celia, you know, you are an inspiration. I think that the people listening out there, they have so much to learn from you. Number one, all the things that you've done throughout the years to take care of yourself. If anyone who's just starting wanted to call me and ask me, I'd be more than happy to talk with Okay, you. yeah, we'll definitely, um, you know, hey, send us an email and we'll uh, let you talk to Celia because she is a... Uh, a champion at taking care of herself, advocating for herself, and living a productive life. And uh, it's been great chatting with you on Kidney Talk. And I can't wait. We'll, we'll, we'll re-interview at your 40th year. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. 
Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.